Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. It's the first day of the rest of our lives. <laughs> That's the most optimistic phrase you could say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was also the first day of recording our uh, documentary. Ooh, fun. This is one of your one of your marketing projects, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So just a quick refresher. We took this big loan from Stripe Capital and we wanted to make a short like documentary thing about the experience of taking the money and spending it on marketing projects and seeing how it went. And Monday, we had our first day of shooting. There's going to be two days. So there was like the, this was the like, okay, before we've done the thing, you know, how's everybody feeling? What's going on? And then the idea is we'll do another one after all the projects are done and wrapped and we'll talk about the results. I feel like I've heard people from the film industry talk about how it can be kind of a slog and kind of, a, it's kind of a toil. I think I got a glimpse of that. On oh yeah. <laughs> it was a long day. Huh. So we met them early at our co-working space like they're like we want to get started it takes about an hour to set up so we want to meet you at about eight so we can be set up and ready to film by nine turns out that this company we hired like this this is like a very like legit setup they brought five people wow yeah um, so it's like whoa okay and so much gear like a van full of stuff they were like okay where are we shooting and i was like over here and i walked them into our office and they're like um this is not big enough and I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and they were like, can we go shoot out in the common area? And I was like, not really. And so we ended up calling an audible and uh, going over to Joel's condo. Oh, funny. Which fortunately is close by, but they had to like, you know, reload all the gear and then unload it all at Joel's and set it up there. It's because he has like this sort of large open space that worked well for it. But like it was a, it was a setup with like multiple cameras, you know, the interviewee, the interviewer, a bunch of like light setup, and it was just like it, it took up a lot of space. Wow, interesting. Yeah. They needed a larger space because it's mostly like kind of interview, like cameras pointed at you at different angles. You're that's sitting right. with okay, yeah, that's right. And and our office is like it holds like three or four, maybe five people. I was sort of picturing like a single camera and like you know natural light from the outside because it's very sunny. And they're like, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> Funny. But yeah, so fortunately we had a we were able to figure out the, the backup, and I feel like that was like classic like production you know day of stuff, where it's like we get there and the site won't work. We're like, uh, now what? So we got a bit of a late start because of that. It was a bit stressful. Also, adding to the logistical challenges, Aaron, our marketing engineer, booked a flight for Sunday afternoon to be there for the Monday morning shooting, and his flight got delayed and then delayed and delayed and delayed and then canceled after like i think i think he was almost at the airport for like eight hours or something but it just it was so that was that was rough so found out sunday night like oh uh, yeah aaron's not going to be there until like the earliest flight he could get was the next day and got him there like to the office at like three thirty. and so i was like okay well that's too bad but like at least we can shoot aaron's segment at the end there and you know get him in the thing and so on monday morning his flight got canceled no yes <laughs> <laughs> come on yeah so uh, Aaron was not able to make it to Boston at all for the thing, which is kind of rough. But like, okay, he's sort of a star player in this, right? Totally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, is orchestrating the whole thing, and so I was like, uh, okay, I guess we'll end up doing kind of like a remote interview with Aaron and like cut that in there, and and maybe maybe it's part of the story, you know, when you know, startups try to do things and things break unexpectedly, and isn't that just you know business? 
it was quite a thing. So we did a bunch of uh, interviews. Or like they interviewed me and Joel and Dorothy, and we talked about the project and we talked about Tuple. And then we shot so much B-roll. Walking down the street. Now walk down the street towards me. Now walk down this hall. Now walk down the hall again. Now walk down the hall again. Now point at your screen and act like you're working. <laughs> Have a fake meeting over here. Um, and like that stuff, like I feel like typically reads as like pretty dorky. Like like it can often kind of seem kind of canned or fake. And so like I imagine we're going to use like 10 seconds of this B-roll sort of cut together through this thing and like but like we spent like basically hours shooting b-roll and like changing clothes so it seemed like different <laughs> different times and it's like wow this is what an experience yeah you kind of have to bend reality for for something like that right mm -hmm. um so it is a ton of work right we're probably going to like record stuff on the day the next shoot day of shooting that will probably act like happened on day one because of the logistics challenge so like it's gonna it's gonna be a whole it's gonna be a whole thing so yeah, I'm, I'm learning about video production and it is, it's kind of a beast. So who is mainly involved in this? Like how big of a distraction is this for the company to be doing this? Um, for the company. I mean, I guess not like no one in engineering. It's, it's basically an Aaron thing. And that on the day of was Joel and uh, Dorothy and I were doing it. Okay. And did he like write all the, the interview questions that you were asked and stuff? He, Yeah he wrote up a description of what was going on. The actually the interviewer was, was pretty well prepped, I guess, because he had spoken to them and maybe sent them some, some written stuff and just sort of like they, the interviewer kind of had a good sense of like what we were doing and like what kind of end result we were going for with the film. So, which was nice. Cause like I just sort of sat down in the chair and he started asking me like pretty good questions about it and doing a good job, like smiling and nodding and be like, wow, you're doing so well. You're saying such interesting things. <laughs> Pump up the ego. It's nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just keep Good. keep me talking. Yep. Um, I got to the end, got to the end of that day and was like, "Wow, I'm I'm exhausted. <laughs> I was completely wiped." Mm -hmm. Very different kind of work. <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah, so different. I think it's going to look super professional. You know, like the the quality and the lighting and the questions and you know, hopefully the interviews themselves will be really interesting. But it seems this is definitely a whole new level of like polish for a video that I've put together. Yeah. Yeah. What's the shooting schedule look like? How long are they working with you guys total? Like is this longitudinal or two two full days? So the day one's done. Some number of months we will schedule day two. We've already paid for it. It'll be like another full day of shooting. And then they're like doing all the editing and back and forth and getting the final thing together. Okay. All right. A lot, yeah, it's a lot to pack into two days. How long is the film supposed to be? Uh, like five, like six minutes or so is sort of around what we're targeting. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, something like that. I think it will depend on how much quality footage we end up, like how much usable stuff we have, and how the narrative shapes up, and what we what the kind of story we want to tell, and, and all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do okay. you want to guess what this all costs, by the way? Oh, gosh, um, twenty thousand dollars, fifty. 50 50 for six minutes six minutes <laughs> holy cow yep wow and it sort of made more sense when i saw that they brought five people well yeah yeah it's like this is the dedicated sound person this is like camera per this is like one of the camera persons this is the the director this is the interviewer like this is the person that just hauls stuff from the van and back um this is one of those things too where they're like like they sent they send us this invoice and like there's this line item is like color correction six thousand dollars and it's like, I don't 
really know what that means. I assume we want it. I don't know if $6,000 is reasonable. So can that's, we go with the bad colors, like uncorrected colors? That Let's sounds very stop. high for whatever that means. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's, I just picture I'm going into like Final Cut and clicking like autocorrect color, $6,000. That's also what I pictured. <laughs> Whereas like, isn't there like a program that you bought one time that does this? Like... Yeah. Nice. But they're like, not. yeah, but it costs half a million dollars. So you're having to contribute to or the, like uh, it's, it's a per use <laughs> program or something. I don't know how licensing yeah. works in, in film stuff. So like we tried to negotiate and they, they were kind of like, uh, you can have less if you want to spend less money. And we're like, ah, I think we want what we want, though. So if you want bad color, then uh, you can spend less money. But yeah, a big part of the reason this is so expensive, I assume, is like because it's on site where we are. Like they literally flew people to us. And like they got there the night before they like they flew in, you know, rented the car, loaded the gear, got a hotel, stayed over. Like it was, it's a serious thing. It's a lot of, a lot of real people in real places moving atoms around just because I don't know anything about this world. I like sent this over to someone at Wistia. I was like, does this seem right? And he was like, yeah, it does. And I was like, damn. Okay. <laughs> I sort of wish you'd said that's ridiculous here. Go talk to these people. They'll get, they'll do it for 20, but He's like, no, that's that's about correct. And it's like, okay, I guess video is just really pricey. It's crazy that like, yeah, you can spend that amount of money and it's going to be amazing, I think. And then you could also theoretically get like part of the way there just with your own like webcam and, uh, you know, ad hoc setup for like, you know, $100. <laughs> yep, that's true. Yeah. So the very tail end of that like improvement curve gets very expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I, I really hope we're happy with the end result of it. That's the real thing. We're like, if, if it's a great video and we're super stoked to share it, like, then I think it's going to feel good. I guess like the failure case would be like, it, it turns out kind of like too polished, like too corporate you know? And it's like, you know, it's like something like a, like a dorky consulting company or something would make. Um, and then we're like, oh, no, it feels like lame and stiff or something. Then that would be, that would be a big bummer. But, you know, it's like we're taking, we're taking some shots. We're seeing what happens. This is actually, yeah, what, like I think the biggest line item in the the whole marketing project. And this is like what the, it's like, okay, we have a lot of money to try the thing with. We have, we have the funds so we can take bigger shots. And this, that was part of, this is part of it. So this is coming out of the, the Stripe Capital money. And we'll see. It, it may fail. And this will be, this will be released like at the end of your experiments because you're kind of going to summarize how your marketing experience went. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. some number of months, like fall, maybe winter, when everything is done and wrapped and we have some, some data to talk about and some, you know, some thoughts. We shot um, a little bit of B-roll in the coffee shop where Joel and I decided to start Tuple for real. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. I kind of wish I would have captured seats. that. Like we were, uh, Rob and I were worked on early drip stuff at the Ironbird Cafe in Fresno, California. And uh would have been cool to have some I mean it's burned into my memory, but you know, to have some uh some footage of that would have been would have been fun. Totally. Yep. Yeah. I'm actually flying into Fresno next month. Are you? Yeah. What? Why? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm going on a hiking, a backpacking trip. Oh in Kings Canyon. Kings Canyon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, get to visit this, the beautiful city of Fresno. Well, very nice. Um, have some In-N-Out Burger there. Um, okay. yeah, I'll need to like mm. uh, feed myself, cal- like bulk up for the for the trip. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, yeah, it's it's a place. It's yeah, a place. I, I'm debating. I'm either going to spend zero or one night there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
so like this trip is taking place at like pretty high elevation like i think we're like i think day one we're getting to like twelve thousand feet or like eventually we're getting to twelve thousand feet and so they recommend spending at least one night at altitude so i'm gonna book at least one night at one of the campsites that are at like 6500 feet mm, okay um, at, at like the sort of the base of king's canyon or like the you know you're, you're up but not all the way up to start like acclimatizing I may even do two nights there just because they said, you know, I, you know, do at least one if you don't live at altitude. Two is even better. So, but now I'm taking a seven night backpacking trip where I'm already camping outside for a week and adding two more nights of camping. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like, do I want to do nine nights of camping? <laughs> I'm going to be a little burnt out of camping, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So it increases my logistics, but I, uh, I might do it anyway. Or, or I might just spend the first night in Fresno and then do one mm-hmm. night at the campsite mm-hmm. before the trip. Yeah. Well, they have hotels there. So. Exactly. And, yeah. Very cheap <laughs> hotels, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was, I was thinking like, okay, like, so on the way back, uh, rather than try to like catch a flight on that last day, I'm going to spend one, the la- like one night in Fresno and then fly out the next morning. And I was like, all right, let me, I'm going to get the nicest hotel experience in Fresno so I can like, you know, I'll be coming off the trail and it'll be all, you know, like I'll really appreciate the luxury. And it was like, yeah, it's $140. <laughs> like can't i spend more money where's yeah, the, give, uh, give me the penthouse come on yeah <laughs> i was like i, I want to throw more money at this and they're like no we don't really do that <laughs> yeah, okay that's funny yeah that sounds about right cheap living mm-hmm. also we're about to post a another job ad okay yeah we're gonna hire another person we're looking for a lead web developer so joel has been leading dev of the rails backend for a long time now and we would like to have somebody else do that. A lot of the, the meat in the tuple world is in the clients, the native clients. But the back end does team management, billing stuff, uh, marketing site type things, that, that, that deal. And, and also it provides APIs for the clients to use. So there is a lot of the logic on the clients, but there actually is interaction between the back end and those things. The database is on is in the Rails app. Like who are the users and what can they do and that sort of thing so there is interaction between the the clients like it's a critical part of the infrastructure this is actually i think just about the sort of like last piece of the infrastructure or sort of like the 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 core things of tuple that is basically managed by a founder exclusively and so like if joel goes on vacation it's kind of like yeah technically like a bunch of us can do rails dev but like we don't really know what's going on there and it's like this would be good for just the company's health of like decoupling this from Joel. Also, we expect the scope of this to increase a bit. So there's there's a lot of features or a good number of features for the client that require some sort of backend API. So they have to kind of evolve together. But also we're going to be building out more integrations as like call URLs ship, like like a fleshed out Slack integration, integration with uh, Google Calendar to add tuple events to it. I have an idea for a Chrome extension that I want to build. <laughs> and so I think our, our like new construction, but also yeah. maintenance. Um, well, you're going you're gonna to build that API endpoint that SavvyCal can hit to get a call URL, right? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, SavvyCal integration has to happen. It has to happen. I can't live in a world <laughs> where we have built products that could integrate with each other and they don't. Just be, like, that's, I'd be offended. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Sorry. When I said Google Calendar, I meant SavvyCal. <laughs> thank you yes. um, but yeah so there's there's more there's there's a good amount to do now and i expect that scope to increase and there's more stuff to build and also to maintain and so we're starting to feel like this is getting to be more and more of a full-time person position and having joel 
in the critical path there is just not ideal. Like we want to have more redundancy than that. And so we're looking for someone who can lead that stuff, who's excited, like a, a person with you know a good amount of Rails experience, but also just interested in like you know building integrations, using APIs, kind of like web dev stuff, basically, web flavored development. Yeah, and I think Joel will basically be kind of like the second in command on these projects. So like there'll be a lot of pairing with Joel, but Joel won't be like the primary person owning the project. Is the idea? We're getting ready to publish that thing. That'll probably be live by the time people hear this tuple.app slash jobs if you want to read the description just in case it's not live i think it will be but if it is we're looking for people to basically just send an email with like link us to your best stuff make the pitch for your candidacy jobs plus web at tuple.app and uh, the right people will see it but uh it's kind of exciting this will bring us up to 11 people wow this person wow that weird yeah that is (laughs) it's crazy it's weird (laughs) it is crazy (laughs) i don't know how this happened exactly yeah you build something people want, and uh, lo and behold, you have to build a team. <laughs> yeah, yep, it's, it's an option. I'm, I'm I'm happy we've hired fairly slowly. Like when I look at like revenue per employee of other places, I, I feel like most of the time we're higher than what I hear with most other people. Like I think we've been we've been we've gone the path of hiring like expensive generalists for the most part, or just at least just expensive, highly competent, productive people, even if they are specialists. So that like we don't we've we've been able to do do well without a, a larger team. But I don't know. 11 sounds large to me now, but that's just because that's, that's where we are, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So what will Joel's like, what is his title at Tuple? Joel is COO. Okay. Lots of operations thingies, whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> with an 11 person company, you don't have, it's not like a full-time thing to do ops stuff. And also like Steven is like great at ops type things. Like he's a really good resource uh, or like he just handles those things really well. And so we have like, we sort of have more than enough ops coverage. It's not like really a full-time thing anyway. So he's kind of like maybe two thirds rails dev, one third ops ish somewhere around those, that ratio. Founding ops. Founding ops. Yes. Like <laughs> in the early days it was like making lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like literally like yeah. make us lunch to save, save money. So we didn't right. you know, have run out of cash yeah. before, before the business worked. <laughs> Um, and then sometimes it's like, you know, booking the venues to do like, you know, the retreat, like when people come visit, like booking the mm-hmm. things, making the reservations, that type of stuff. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. all over the place and it's kind of bursty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when we hire a person, often there's a bunch of stuff there, especially if they aren't in the US, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Managing the Gusto account or whatever. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And like, yeah, like going through this whole saga of like this, like <laughs> we close a deal with, um, this company in Japan and like they wouldn't pay us until we could like somehow prove like there's some sort of treaty tax treaty between the US and Japan which affects like how like whether or not they needed to pay sales tax or something on the thing and they really didn't want to and they thought they didn't have to but we had to provide them with this document from the IRS that said we had some sort of certain tax status and to get this thing we had to like fax a thing or mail a thing to the IRS it was so, like there are these things that just come up, you know, in business where it's like someone has to track this down to like so we can get paid this 50 grand from this company. Otherwise, they won't give it to us. Um, or like, oh, we need to register in Texas now because we hired someone in Texas and we have to start paying sales tax there. And so we need a blah, 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 blah. Like it's the stuff comes up on, on the regular and it's I'm so glad I don't have to do it. Yeah. Matt, Matt Wensing was tweeting about this the other day. Like he hired Ryan, his 
CLO basically early on, someone he had worked with at prior startups. And like, it was a pretty early hire for him. And he's talked about how nice it's been to have someone who's sort of a generalist ops person that can kind of, you know, write the investor update emails and write the, write the email that goes out with product updates and just all kinds of random things, you know, coordinate payroll. My response to that is like, yeah, I'm kind of like you either have someone in that role or you largely ignore most of your ops responsibilities and just kind of like procrastinate on them, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. which is what I do. It's like, it's easier to get by that way when you're super tiny and there's not, you know, so many, um, so many complexities there, but it is annoying anytime things like that sneak onto my radar. And then I'm like, oh man, I really don't want to allocate any bandwidth to this thing, but sometimes you can't avoid it. You just have to, you know? Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Having someone that is willing to do those things has been super nice. Like I, and also like probably has kept us out of hot water. Like the chance that Tuple will be paying sales tax right now. Uh, if I were the person who had to do this is pretty minimal, which I'm sure eventually would turn into some huge problem. So I feel like, Joel has provided the valuable service of like, no, we have to do the, th- like, yes, we do have to do the thing. Like we can't just like not do that thing we're supposed to do. And so it becomes rather than it becoming a big problem later, it's just like a small annoyance now. Um, whereas I'm much more of a, make, let's worry about it when it's a huge flaming problem later, <laughs> which is not, yeah. not a deal. Yeah. Yep. It's been good. He pulls, I think he, he pulls me towards sanity. Sometimes too, like Axel is a little bit of a break when I, I sometimes I'm like, oh my god, I just had an idea. We got to do this thing, and he's like, okay, hold on, do we have? To, like, is is that true? Um, it's been a kind of a useful counterbalance because I good. I get very excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my strength and my weakness. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What's going on with you? You know, same old, same old. I think I talked about this last time. The the new funnel rework for Savvy Cal, so the 14 day trial, no credit card required. That is just starting to click over from 14 days. So we're starting to see really early results. It's way too early to tell, but I'm still waiting with bated breath to see see how this is going to all shake out. Early results, I'm seeing a lot of people like naturally procrastinating on putting their card on file. And so question will be like are we are we shepherding people along in the right way or do we need to make tweaks to it or do we just need to pull back and go back to the the card required trial and um all those things are are up in the air right now but um (laughs) that sounds a little upsetting uh, yeah it's it's tricky i mean i knew this was coming right so like and we were going to have this this seven day gap between our old seven day trial like those running out and then the new 14 day trial so like i knew this was there was going to be a really bad week in there and yeah, sure enough, like look at the metrics and it looks like a terrible week, but that's totally expected. And just to add insult to injury, I just had like a couple large accounts churn that I knew, I knew that was going to happen. Like they were, they were working on a more complex setup and they had kept their Savvy Cal account going for a while. And then finally we're like, all right, it's time to like, we're, we're fully cutting over. So, so it was not unexpected at all, but also still hurts to see it on the metrics. So I'm curious, do you have any like insight into this for for you guys like when people generally do put their card on file during their trial no i haven't i haven't paid any attention to that mm-hmm. kind of yeah yeah it, there's so much like psychology involved in this too like i spent an hour on the phone with Corey the other day just kind of like thinking about this stuff like what are the dynamics at play here perceivably someone could be more committed more like psychologically committed to their trial if they know they put a card on file you know and so I wonder if people are getting like they're feeling less motivated because they haven't gone through the 
the extra step of like pulling out their credit card and like making a mental commitment to trying out the product. But there's so many things like that that are extremely difficult to know and measure. I mean, I might try to just like talk to some people who went through this trial and just like ping them with questions and see if I can get more insight as to like what was what was going through their head. But it feels like a difficult thing to ascertain. So totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so tricky. I, <laughs> I go back and forth like we're we've been pushing towards the like making it easier and easier to try tuple and like thinking like, oh, is there a freemium thing in here? And I think that is totally legit and like a, a reasonable way to do it. And there's also part of me that wants to like go back to the paid trial, weirdly. There's something about increasing the upfront commitment that gets people to actually use the thing. And so, yeah, of course you have fewer people starting the thing, but then like, would you rather have fewer people start the trial and a much higher trial conversion rate and much more engagement during that trial? Or would you rather have more people trying it, but failing to actually like use it at all? I'm sure that there's natural matches for different kinds of products. But it also feels like you could kind of just pick, like, what does Derek like? Like, what what makes Derek happier? Yeah, there hasn't been a noticeable uptick in support burden or something. Which you know that if there was that, if there was a lot more like low qualified people making it into the product and then like talking to support a bunch and having a bunch of complaints, that would be a major like <laughs> that would be a major thing. I haven't really seen that. There were a lot of things that I did enjoy about our previous funnel, like that. That 70% trial to paid conversion rate was the metric I was most proud of. <laughs> like, you know, and we had kind of a already a unique setup already because you could get into the product, play around with stuff, but you didn't have to actually start your trial until you were ready to activate a link. So it was sort of already like there was a no card required trial available. If if by trial we just mean like getting your hands on the product to see it for yourself and not necessarily start using it. So like, I don't know. There were a lot of things that I that I enjoyed about the like the consistency of that funnel. I mean, it felt like we could be doing better, growing faster, and so I, I I'm still glad we're doing this experiment, and maybe it'll maybe it'll pan out well. I don't know. It's just it's hard. It's so early and like hard to tell where it's gonna go. This particular experiment, so I need to give it a little more time. But yeah, I mean, definitely like after this week of like no conversions and watch seeing a relatively low card on file rate. At the moment, I'm like, oh, man, did I just screw this whole thing up? <laughs> mm. I think it's worth like remembering that your enthusiasm is a limited and precious resource in this endeavor. If you were purely rational, you might say like, oh, the 70% trial to conversion rate doesn't matter because you've made the other thing like permissive. And so like the people that are clicking that like in the old model, the people that are starting the trial are already pretty bought in. But like if having a 70% trial conversion rate makes you happy and like makes you feel stoked about the product, like that's not negligible. Like that's that that could be important versus like, wow, only a tiny percentage of people that actually try this out, like convert. That makes me feel bad about the product. Even even if like your net MRR change from that funnel were like a little higher, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's not the right choice still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I could look at all the stages of this funnel. So like 70% felt good about that. The other number was like more like 20%, I think, of people who registered for an account and then actually started a trial, which feels decent, but I don't really know for sure. And I asked, like, was picking Rob's brain because he's got so many, you know, heuristics in his mind just from seeing so many SaaS companies. And I was like, is this good? Is this bad? He's like, I don't know, man. Like, because you have a unique funnel. Like, that's not a, that's not something we really like have data on. So um, so it's like one part of one metric, that 20% number, like, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not really sure. I don't feel terrible about it, but feel like 
I would like it to be higher because there's a lot of signups that just don't don't advance past that step. But I wasn't totally feeling terrible about it because there's not like a benchmark, <laughs> I guess. When you started this task or this project, did you have a hypothesis or like something you were like a, a metric you're trying to approve or a test you were trying to run? I mean, I think in, in general, I'm curious to see, I mean, kind of based on your results. And I talked to a bunch of people at MicroConf about this too, like how they, it either nets out for them about the same or maybe slightly higher. I've got a lot of anecdotal data from people that like, if you have a pretty, pretty usable product that doesn't require a bunch of upfront setup work, then like it's probably advantageous to widen that funnel and let more people in and banking on the fact that you can at least net out the same, then the benefit is you have more people putting their hands on the product and potentially converting further down the line. So like, it's just better. So that's, that's sort of the hypothesis I wanted to test. I was curious to see like, would this come out about the same, even if it's the same number of people converting, that's still, I think a win for a product that has virality built into it. That's the hypothesis really. Yeah. And and too early to say. Oh yeah. Way too early. Yeah. We've only had like 10 trials have expired so far. So like there's not enough, you know, there's not enough data at all at this point. Right. You probably need a, like an, at least like a month or two too of just data and see like what was the net MRR change here versus previous months. And even then it's not even really an experiment because you don't have a control. Right. Like, right. Like, has your traffic changed a bit? Mm-hmm. We're heading into seas- a recession or is that like... Is it seasonal? Is like, yeah. Yes, <laughs> right. Is there economic forces at play? Like it's, it's tough. Like it, I don't know if you have enough conversions to make a b testing like actually legit statistically (laughs) significant or not probably not probably not my sense is that i don't you know there's but it's like yeah yeah yeah. we're putting pause on like a big splash launch for meeting polls it's been in the hopper to do for a while but like since we decided to do this like i was hoping to if this funnel rework was going to be good then i wanted to get this done and then when we push meeting polls we have more of like a kind of freemium like things are just geared more towards like you can use this product in free mode. It has utility or you can upgrade to a paid plan. So like we wanted that to be more prominent and that's all wrapped up in this kind of this kind of repositioning the funnel type of work. But it's like I want to I want to get metrics on this first before, you know, doing a big splash because that'll change the change the type of traffic we're sending through. And then we'll if things are really bad, we'll be like, well, is it just because we did this launch and sent a bunch of like low qualified traffic <laughs> or is it, you know, so trying to hold things, hold things, as many things constant as possible, but even recognizing that that's like, that's still impossible to do. The traffic that comes this month is not the same as the traffic last month. So it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And if you split test, but you don't have st- significance, are you just kind of tricking yourself? Yeah, then, right. Right. I think you've got some data, but you sort of don't, or you don't, don't mm-hmm. have relevant data. Yeah. I mean, I honestly well, don't know if I can make it a couple months if things are like not, yeah consistently not converting well i'm i i don't know if i can stick it out that long i might have to revert but yep. we'll see yeah. well I'm, I'm confident you'll figure it out that's the nice thing about code is you, you can go back to that old version revert that commit or series of commits and bam back the other big thing is i'm working on a hosting platform migration <laughs> oh really so, yeah yes so we've been on heroku from day one and it's been super solid but I've known that like this is going to need to happen eventually because we're basically on still one like we're on one giant dyno right now. <laughs> we take advantage of some features of the Elixir language 
that allow you to do basically like concurrency control. So we have a bunch of integrations with different providers, Microsoft, uh, Microsoft API being one of them. And they require you to not send more than four concurrent requests at a time, <laughs> which is kind of annoying. And so if you send, even if you have a fifth one going, it will, you know, it'll 429 you, it'll, it'll kick you out. So, so we were seeing a bunch of errors like that. And we built this little system that basically uses low level Elixir stuff to build like a little connection pool thing. And then it like checks out a, you know, checks out a worker from the pool and it only has four at a time. So it's constrains concurrency in a really elegant way. So we're using that and we're doing a bunch of caching stuff. So we like, we don't have Redis. We're just doing a lot of in-memory caching of like short-term caching of calendar events that we pull down from APIs so that we're not, you know, constantly hitting the API in a short, short span. And I want to keep using all of these things. Like it's been super nice to not have a bunch of like pulling a bunch of additional pieces and, you know, interfacing with, with, you know, third-party databases and APIs. It's been felt like a major net positive to just leverage the Elixir capabilities. But <laughs> as a trade-off, like on Heroku, nodes aren't allowed to communicate with each other through the native way that Elixir allows you to do that. You have to deploy it as if it's a Rails app where like each process is completely isolated and if they need to talk to each other, you need something like a Redis or a database in the middle to coordinate you know, between those independent nodes. So you, I would have to give up a lot of this, a lot of the benefits of Elixir that we've been that we've been using. I mean, the caching stuff, we could flip it into Redis mode instead of doing in memory. We could we could spit up a Redis instance and and do that instead. But I don't think this like coordinated in memory concurrency control stuff. You know, I would have to rearchitect that for something else, and that just feels like we're not making the most of. The platform that we've chosen if we're like constantly working around it and like hobbling it you know and so this has been like on my a project on the back burner for a while but something i've been experimenting with gradually looking at different providers asking around talking to other people in the elixir community like hey what do you like about this one what how did this one treat you and feel like i have a pretty good sense that fly is kind of the way to go at the moment i don't know if you've heard of them but i have yeah yeah. What I like about them is they like their kind of their key examples are in Elixir and Phoenix. So like they're sort of it feels like they're trying to build the good platform for Elixir, but also not it's not Elixir exclusively. You can deploy anything on it, but they're like they use Elixir a lot in their examples, which just gives me confidence that they're paying paying attention to this ecosystem, you know? And their docs are really good. They seem to be pretty responsive. I've had interactions with them already. It's interesting how the, the, the content marketing is affecting your perception of them. <laughs> well, it's not, I mean, it's more about their docs and like their the okay. guides that they have. You know, it's less about their marketing stuff, but more about the resources for, for yeah, developers. But yeah, yeah, fair. But I, I almost think of that as content marketing in a way. Like it's not, it's not quite, but it's, mm. yeah. yeah, I guess I mean, not content. it serves yeah. both purposes. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they have like a blog post on how to do a whatever with Elixir on fly or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a guides area and they have like an entire area dedicated to just Phoenix things and they yeah. don't have that for any other language. So like, oh, I don't know, it yeah. seems like a good sign. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong to feel that. I just, it's, it, it, it's just an interesting uh, thing. Yeah. I mean, companies, they, they tip their hand in like where they, what they're passionate about and where their focus is, even when they're trying to be like, you know, spread across a bunch of different things. It's like, you can kind of get the sense that like, yeah, this is, 
this is something that they really like. and I think they understand the Elixir ecosystem well. So I've been committed to not doing DevOps, right? Like I really don't want to do DevOps at all. And Fly is definitely platform as a service. Like that's, that's their... I would still put them in that category, but I'm having to build a Docker file, and uh, <laughs> that's that's entirely new to me. Fortunately, there's there's um, like a built-in default like Docker file for building Elixir releases that comes from Phoenix itself, and so I mostly stayed on the path of like the defaults, um, but I've had to had to adjust it slightly. So it's been a little bit of a learning curve, but you know it doesn't feel like I'm in totally like build something from scratch custom territory, which I really didn't want to get into. So yeah, so it's it's been cool. I've deployed a staging setup. I've pointed that at, because like I'm doing this transitionally, so I'll be keeping my database for at least a short time on Heroku, but moving the app over in, in a region where it's close proximity to the database, so hopefully not too much latency. I have instances running on Fly, and I got it all like, it's deploying, it's building, it's releasing, and it's pointed at at our Heroku databases. And I can kind of I'm testing like splitting load balancing traffic to like gradually ease over to the other or be able to like quickly revert it back without trying to make DNS changes or something. Yeah, I've been doing quite a bit of work on that and made it through the couple of days of banging my head against the wall and like <laughs> hitting roadblocks and finally made it past some of those. So I'm feeling like in a pretty good spot. Sounds legit. Um, I'll be curious to hear what you think of them. We're mm-hmm. we're potentially interested in something like that. We've been considering because you guys are on Heroku right now, right? We are, yes. Yeah, but that's the old thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, which I, which to me is a feature, not a bug. You know, they're like uh, right, like especially yeah. in a hosting platform. I want them to be like crusty and old and like hardened. You know, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're, we're. I think it's more idle talk right now. Yeah. There was that like a uh, security incident and long ah, know, yes. GitHub integration mm-hmm. and disabling and all that. Yeah, that was a little disconcerting. I when I started asking around, people were like, "Hey, are you jumping ship too?" I'm like, "Not really." Like, I'm, like yeah, it's a big deal that they had security stuff, but I think that could happen to anyone. But but I'm looking for other reasons too. So mm-hmm. okay, yeah, cool. Well, you want to wrap it? Yeah, let's wrap it. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.